0: Hello, and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Michelle Friedman. And I'm Rachel Yehuda. And we're both from YCT Rabbinical School.
1: And in each episode, we explore an aspect of psychology based on the Torah reading of the week. So this week, we're
0: in the third chapter of the book of Exodus. The title of it is Bo, which means come. And what we're gonna talk about today, we're gonna focus on The last two plagues.
1: Right. And we haven't talked about the previous plagues. They're very well known to people. But until this uh, Torah portion, um, Moses has basically bestowed terrible plagues on the um, Egyptian people. Blood, frogs. We read these at our Passover Seder. Um, One just seems worse than the other. Lice, their destruction of the animals. But they're all...
0: Plagues one through eight are material threats and the commentaries talk about, this is not in the core text, how the Hebrews are spared from them. But when you get to plague number nine, which is the plague of darkness, there seems to be a different level of psychological terror that invades the people.
1: I agree with that. I I really think it's important to make the point though that when you're witnessing horrible atrocities being perpetrated on anyone, you're not fully being spared. So I think that even a slave nation, and even if you hate the enemy, there has got to be some kind of a fear. And also, don't forget, The children of Israel don't really know what's going to happen next. They're not sure they're going to be leaving Egypt. So it's also a time of uncertainty for them. And I could just imagine really being there and kind of watching all this and just wondering what's going to happen.
0: So what you're suggesting, Rachel, is that the plagues and the escalation of plagues is as much for the shaping of this nascent identity of the Hebrew people as it is to terrify Pharaoh to let the people go.
1: I just just really want to make the point that it's not that the Israelites are watching something passively. No, definitely not. It's not not. like they're having vacation days from slavery. They're they're really struggling also with what's happening in their ever-changing world.
0: I want to point out that this portion opens up with our theme from last week. Verse 10:1, God says to Moses, "Come to Pharaoh because I have made his heart and his servants' hearts heavy for the purposes of my setting these signs of me among them." And then the 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 uh, plagues pick up, and interestingly, darkness is referred to earlier than the actual ninth plague because we do hear that the land becomes very dark with the earlier plague, with the locust plague. But there's something darker in the ninth plague.
1: Well, you know, I like what you just said before about how the the plagues that are in this Torah portion are gonna be more psychological than physical. And I'm just wondering if this different darkness kind of reminds me of um, melancholic depression.
0: Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, let me read the verse because in 1021, God says to Moses, reach out your hand at the skies and let there be darkness on the land of Egypt and one will feel darkness. Yes,
1: and that is very much what what depression is really described by people as an actual physical feeling superimposed on this really horrible mental state. And I mean, by this point, the Egyptians would have certainly qualified for a post-traumatic mental condition just on the basis of their previous adversities they had suffered. But it's almost like we're shifting into a different phase of total inaction, total heaviness, total bleakness. And it really does have a different quality than the darkness that has been discussed before. before. And it's interesting, one, one can speculate,
0: do the Hebrews get a taste of this or are they spared? In verse ten twenty-two, the text says, and Moses reached out his hand at the skies and there was dismal darkness in all the land of Egypt, three days. Each man did not see his brother and each man did not get up from under it, three days. And for all the children of Israel, there was light in their homes. Now, this is the only plague where the text explicitly states how the Israelites were spared. But we don't know that they don't get a taste of right, the darkness. because it doesn't
1: say that it was light outside. Or that
0: it was immediate. Right. So it's possible that that melancholia, and I, I really agree with you, that the description of the darkness, the thickness, the internal feeling, that's what our patients describe. They describe... Desolation. They describe hopelessness. They describe bleakness. That that is exactly what the ninth plague sounds like to me.
1: Yes, and it's really a lesson that you know you can withstand physical adversity, but it's much much harder to um, deal and cope with the kind of adversity that comes from mental health issues like. Like darkness, depression. Like
0: so once again, it seems like you know, Pharaoh relents, his heart softens maybe, and he says, okay, go, you can go do your service to God, you can leave the land. And Moses says, okay, we're going. And then of course, a few verses later in 1027, and God strengthened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. And now we're going to the ultimate plague, the 10th plague, in verse 11. But I want to remind our listeners that this plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn, has been hinted at earlier in the very first portion. In verse 421, the text says, And I've said to you, let my child go and serve me. And should you refuse to let it go here, I'm killing your child, your firstborn. So in verse 10, 11, God says to Moses, I'll bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and then he'll let you go from here. And this is the plague of the firstborn. And this is the only plague that actually requires that the Hebrews do something active themselves so that they will be spared from the death of the firstborn. They
1: have to put blood on their doorsteps and we haven't seen this before. We haven't seen that the uh, children of Israel have to actively do something to make sure that nothing happens to them. This is a forerunner, by the way, of the uh, mezuzahs that hang on the uh, doorposts in in Jewish homes.
0: And it's also a bloody thing. I mean, it harkens back to circumcision. It yes. looks ahead, perhaps, to sacrifices.
1: Yeah, you have to get your hands really dirty. That's here. right.
0: You've got to. You've got to be in it. You've right. got to be in it the whole you way. You have to
1: make a declaration that you're all in. And again, we have um, talked about how. We know the children of Israel are watching, but we don't know what they're thinking. They could very well be thinking, boy, this, this is not for me. This God is really scary. I don't want to be part of this. Right. Uh, they could be thinking a lot of other things. Um, but in order to be spared, in this case, they have to take an action that is quite drastic.
0: Which, in a way, is an interesting and necessary correlate of what we've been saying about the power of words because the power of words has to be accompanied by the power of action.
1: Right, and this really does remind me of the the, um, circumcision act, just as Moses had to be all in by circumcising his, I guess, firstborn. Um, The children of Israel had to be all in, um, again, with a display of blood, like a blood oath here.
0: And sometimes it reminds me of a uh, discussion that I frequently have in the office about the interplay, sometimes people see it as the tension or the conflict between psychodynamic therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. Is change hmm, affected <laughs> through understanding and words or is it about change of action? Is it enough to... Feel differently or is real evidence acting differently and if you and what if you act without understanding does actions doing actions in themselves evoke a certain kind of learned understanding
1: well I think that that's really a, an excellent point I mean we, we haven't really understood the psychodynamic therapy part of what was happening to the children of Israel um, maybe Moses really wasn't inclined in that direction, or there, he didn't have the opportunity at, during all of these events, but I think that this is an excellent um, frame that in psychotherapy, no matter what the problem is, you really have to display both. You have to be able to verbalize, and you have to be able to um, put things into words, but you also have to act.
0: Right, so maybe the ninth plague, which is called darkness, but we're kind of suggesting is the plague of depression. A sudden thud of the black curtain, the black dog, as some people said, descending on people's souls. And that kind of depression forces people into a very scared, narrow place, and the desperate hope for some kind of relief.
1: But we're also preparing the children of Israel for a life where they're going to have to do do, they're going to have to
0: do things. They have to declare who they are. Right. They have to make a choice. Are they going to smear blood on their doorposts, or are they not going to? Presumably, some didn't, and they were their firstborn were struck down also.
1: But it, but also, don't forget, Moses is telling them to do this. So this is sort of a. Um, nicely bookends the first story where Moses' intervention was very ineffective. And now he's telling them what to do, and now they have to do it in order to be spared. And his
0: first intervention was a bloody one. He killed the Egyptian. He did. There was bloodshed.
1: Absolutely. So I think, again, it's all part of getting our hands dirty. I think even being saved, even being... Um, among the saved and among the chosen it doesn't mean that you're not touched by the events that are going on around you. It doesn't it's not a rose garden that is being promised here. Uh, you still have to interact with this world, this environment, and, and what is being offered is a roadmap, an identity, being part of a people but nobody is promising smooth sailing and nobody's promising a very passive delivery.
0: Thanks for listening to the Pastoral Parsha with Dr. Michelle Friedman and Dr. Rachel Yehuda. This podcast is brought to you by Shabbat Chovevei Torah. To learn more, visit yctorah.org.